So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. We will be in verses 1 to 37. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 37. So information is intended to be instructive. Information is intended to be instructive. We are to do something with the info that we have learned. And we do this in everyday life, y'all. You learn that it's supposed to rain next Saturday, and so you don't plan an outdoor cookout. You learn that your child has a food allergy, and so you avoid those foods. You learn that your friend hates to work out but loves to shop. And so for Christmas, you don't get them a dumbbell. You give them a gift card. You see, information is intended to be instructive. And we'll see that in this morning's passage where Jesus provides information about future events and it's given for the purpose to instruct his disciples on how they should live in Jesus' absence. And so Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 37, please stand for the reading of God's word. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For the nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pangs. But you, be on guard. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So then when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and a man, and a man on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter. For those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, 
if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be fallen from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as, his branches, as soon as his branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And when I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. You may be seated. So our big idea for this passage is this. The certainty of Jerusalem's ruin and Jesus' return should provoke watchfulness and faithfulness. I'll say that again. The certainty of Jerusalem's ruin and Jesus' return should provoke watchfulness and faithfulness. I have two points for us this morning. Our first point is watch with vigilance. Our second point, wait with faithfulness. So watch with vigilance and wait with faithfulness. Our first point, watch with vigilance. So the temple. It was the centerpiece of Israel's religious life, and it has been the main setting for chapters 11 and 12. Jesus has come to the temple. He has cleansed it. He has had conflict with the temple authorities and denounced those leaders of the temple in the temple. And here we see that he leaves the temple. And as he leaves, one disciple was enamored by the temple's beauty and magnificence. That mug was amazing and massive. Y'all, no Lego set could replicate this temple. And as they marveled, Jesus emphatically promised its destruction, that it would be completely dismantled, piece by piece. So enjoy seeing it now, because you won't see it much longer. You see, Jerusalem would fall and the temple would be destroyed as an act of God's judgment. You guys remember how Jesus cursed the fig tree in chapter 11? And the disciples saw that it was withered from the roots up. Well, that typified the judgment that would come upon the temple. And why? Because the temple was misused and perverted. It has turned into a den of robbers. The authorities have rejected the Lord Christ who fulfills the temple, and they have sought his death. 
And so God judged them. And this destruction took place in A.D. 70 when Titus and his army systematically dismantled the temple. See, in verses 3 and 4, two sets of brothers came and privately asked Jesus, when will this destruction happen? That's what these things are referring to in verse 4. What is the sign that it's about to go down? Well, starting in verse 5, Jesus answered their question with specific predictions. There's so many and so specific that the betting odds in Vegas of things happening as Jesus said would have been a gazillion to one. But if you know who Jesus is, you would put all of your money on his prediction and you would win big because everything happened as Jesus said because Jesus knows the future and he knows the future because he is God. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 and 10 says this, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. You see, what Jesus predicted happened in fulfillment of God's will. Now his answer is a combination of specific predictions and exhortations. You see, this information is to be instructive for how the disciples should live and what they should do. Now, cards on the table. I believe that everything that Jesus predicted from verse 5 to 27 has already taken place in that generation, culminating in the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in A.D. 70. And... Much of Jesus' predictions are recorded in the book of Acts, which validates Jesus' words and the historicity of it all. And so in verse 5, Jesus starts with an exhortation of vigilance against deception. And why? Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. Well, part of this took place in Acts chapter 5, verses 36 and 37 where Gamaliel had mentioned that Theudas came and he claimed to be someone, and then Judas the Galilean, and both of them led many astray. Jesus says that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and he commanded them not to fret, because these things precede the temple's destruction. He said that there would be earthquakes in various places, and a great earthquake took place in Philippi, Think about Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, when the apostle Paul and Barnabas were in prison. He says that there will be famines. Well, think about how there was a severe famine in Acts chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, under the reign of Claudius. And Jesus says that these things are the beginning of birth pains. He likened these events to a pregnant woman who is somewhat dilated. Contractions have started, but it ain't go time. You see, we see God's sovereignty over human affairs, nations, and nature. He is working out his purposes. Now, just to be clear, 
wars and earthquakes and famines did not stop in A.D. 70. Look what's happened in Afghanistan. And recently, there was an earthquake in Haiti. You see, these things still happen today because we are sinful people in a sinful world. The ground was cursed because of Adam's sin, and creation groans even now. But the things happening today are not birth pains that precede the temple's destruction, for it was destroyed in A.D. 70. You see, we must keep in mind that the disciples asked, when will the temple be destroyed? And he's telling them what precedes the destruction. You see, as these things are happening around them, verses 9 to 13, Jesus tells them what will be happening to them, which is persecution. They will be persecuted for following Jesus. He's already promised this. Think about Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Anyone who come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Think about Acts, not Acts, but Mark chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, if you have left family, you will receive family with persecutions. You see, people hated Jesus, and look what happened to him. He suffered. And so reflection of Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel will inevitably result in suffering like him. As Pastor John said last week, the cross is offensive. It confronts us in our sin, and so people resist instead of repent, and they kill the messengers. Jesus says that you guys will be handed over and flogged in the synagogues. Well, think about what took place with the, with the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, and with the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus says that you will stand before governors and kings. Think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24, where he preached the gospel to Governor Felix. Think about Acts chapter 26, where he preached the gospel to King Agrippa. Jesus also says and that it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. Gospel advancement. Think about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the advancement of the gospel was the responsibility of the apostles and the churches. Which by Acts 28, the gospel has reached Rome. And think about Colossians chapter 1 verse 6. Where the apostle Paul says that the gospel is spreading all over the world and it is bearing fruit. In verse 11, Jesus says that, you know, when you stand before them, don't worry about what you will say, for the Spirit will be speaking through you. Think about Acts chapter 4, verse 8, when the apostle Peter and the apostle John stood before the Sanhedrin, and they were filled with the Spirit and began to proclaim the truth. You see, here we see God is sovereign over his people. He knows who they are, where they are, and their experiences. And when suffering, God is present with them through his spirit. He strengthens them and speaks through them. In verses 12 and 13, we see that the gospel fractures families. And he says that everyone will hate us on account of Jesus. Jesus. 
But at the end of verse 13, Jesus holds out a precious promise. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, Jesus promises salvation for all followers who endure to the end. Now, this is not salvation by merit. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, a saving faith is an enduring and persevering faith. You see, Christians show that they've been saved by persevering to the very end by the grace of God. Genuine faith will never say, I once believed, but that I still believe. And we'll continue all the way into the day where we see Jesus face to face. Now, the persecution of Christians, it is relevant for us because Christians, as Christians, we will suffer. Again, think about Christians in Afghanistan. Or think about Christians all over the world. And even think about Christians in America. You see, persecution didn't cease when the temple was destroyed. It continues and will continue until Christ returns. You see, the church age, which is the time between Jesus' first and second coming, is marked with tribulation for Christians. Think about Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. You see, Jesus is telling them that persecution will happen to them, but they are to take notice of what's happening in Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. And so he talks about the abomination of desolation. Abomination, it is a detestable act before God of desolation that leaves the temple deserted or desolate. Daniel prophesied about this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 which was fulfilled in 168 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a pagan ruler. He ended the sacrifices, sacrificial system. He set up an altar to Zeus in the temple and then sacrificed a pig on it. Well, something similarly happened in A.D. 66 to 67 when Jewish zealots occupied the temple, allowing criminals in. And then they made Phinehas, a revolutionary, the high priest. And so Jesus says, when you see that, everyone must flee to the mountains for safety. It's no longer birth pains. It is go time, and Jerusalem is about to fall, and the temple is about to be destroyed. Look at verse 19 and 20. For those will be days of tribulation the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, not one will be saved, but he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. You see, this tribulation took place in A.D. 70, and it was horrific. It was filled with bloodshed, murder, starvation, and oppression as Rome ransacked Jerusalem. And in verses 21 and 22, Jesus warned them of false prophets and false messiahs who would lead people astray. Think about the false prophet Bar-Jesus in Acts chapter 13, who opposed the apostle Paul and tried to turn away the proconsul from the faith. 
And in verse 23, Jesus exhorted them to be watchful. Which brings us to verses 24 to 27. And we come to what I believe to be the hardest verses in Mark's gospel. Y'all, I have wrestled with this section for quite some time. I've talked to my wife and Pastor John about this section multiple times. It is very difficult. Let's read it. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be fallen from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. You see, this is commonly believed to refer to Jesus' second coming. Now let me humbly say that I do not believe this refers to Jesus' second coming. I believe that this refers to Jesus' enthronement and vindication. Now, before you get ready to throw a stone at me, let me get your ears real quick. Now, this isn't in our statement of faith. So agreeing with Pastor John and myself on this interpretation isn't a stipulation for membership. But it's also not a stipulation for us to be your pastors. And so as members, you can have a different view But because I'm your pastor and I'm preaching this section, you get to hear my view. (laughs) And so hear me out before you write me off. All right? And so last month I preached that we must do the hard work when studying difficult passages. And this is one of those passages. So let me explain why I believe that this is talking about Jesus' enthronement and vindication. Well, first, let's look at verse 30. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. And so when Jesus says this generation, I believe that he is referring to his contemporaries, those who were alive at that time. And when he says all things will take place in that generation, I believe that includes verses 24 to 27. And so verse 24, he says, but in those days after that tribulation, the language here is very similar to verse 19, which says, for those will be days of tribulation. And so Jesus is referring to the same days. And he says, after that tribulation, not after the tribulation, but after that tribulation, So what takes place in verses 24 to 27 follows that tribulation, which is the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And so the question is, does it follow immediately or in the distant future? I believe that it follows immediately. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, says it this way. Immediately, After the distress of those days. And so what happened? Verse 24 and 25. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be fallen from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. You see, we must remember 
that Jesus is talking to his disciples who were ethnic Jews and acquainted with the scriptures. This is the language of the prophets. And I believe this is prophetic judgment on earth, and Jerusalem in particular, described in cosmic imagery. You see, verses 24 and 25 alludes to Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, which says this, Look, the day of the Lord is coming with fury and burning anger to make the earth a desolation and to destroy its sinners. Indeed, the stars of the sky and its constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shine. Now, the context of Isaiah chapter 13 is about the destruction of Babylon by the Medes and Persians, which has already taken place. You see, judgment on Babylon is described with cosmic imagery. Also, Isaiah chapter 34, verses 4 and 5. All the stars in the sky will dissolve. The sky will roll up like a scroll, and its stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree. When my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens, it will then come down on Edom and on the people I have set for destruction. And so once again, you have cosmic imagery, and the context is judgment on the nations and Edom in particular. Ezekiel. Chapter 32, verses 7 and 8, and verse 15 says this, When I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. I will darken all the shining, yeah, I will darken all the shining lights in the heavens over you, and will bring darkness on your land. This is the declaration of the Lord. Verse 15, when I make the land of Egypt a desolation, so that it is emptied in every, everything in it. When I strike down all who live there, then they will know that I am the Lord. And so here you have judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt described in cosmic imagery. And so I believe that Jesus uses prophetic language in verses 24 and 25 to describe God's judgment in the destruction of the temple. Look at verse 26. It says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And so people, Christians normally assume that Jesus is referring to his second coming. But one thing I would say that it's never specified where he is coming. And this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 which reads this, I continued watching in the night vision, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. You see, in Daniel chapter 7, The Son of Man came on the clouds, not to earth, but to the Ancient of Days in heaven. He was enthroned, given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. 
You see, Jesus was enthroned as king at the destruction of the temple. The temple was dethroned and Jesus was enthroned. He is the eternal king who reigns. And he was vindicated. He is who he says that he is. And look at verse 26. It says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. A question to consider is, who are the they? You see, in this chapter, the word you has been used 22 times. It's referring to the disciples. It's used in second person plural. But here Jesus says, then they will see. And so who are the they? Well, I believe that they are those who witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Again, Jesus says the same thing in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, except then he's talking to the high priest. Mark 14, verses 61 and 62, again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So is he referring to his return when he's talking to the high priest? If so, then how will the high priest see that? When the high priest has already died and Jesus hasn't yet returned. But here Jesus says that the high priest will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds. You see, again, I believe that Jesus is referring to his enthronement and vindication at the destruction of the temple. Jesus was enthroned as king of kings with an everlasting dominion, never to be dethroned. He's never shaken and his kingdom is never threatened. He is who he says he is. Now, one may wonder, all right, so what do you do with verse 27, which says, He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That's a really good question. So the Greek word for angels is the same word used for messengers. You see, I believe here that this is referring to the expansion of the gospel, as Christ has commissioned his people to preach the gospel, and it is going forth everywhere. As the elect hear it, God grants them repentance and faith. And they are brought into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. And Jesus has elect everywhere, a people from every tribe, nation, people, and language, whom God chose before the foundation of the world. And Christ will save all of his elect from all over the globe. You see, this should excite us for evangelism, that we are his messengers. We're to implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And because Jesus will save his elect, we can faithfully and confidently preach the gospel, knowing that God will save his elect in his timing, and for his glory. Now one may say, but it says angels, Pastor Josh. It says angels, Pastor Josh. 
say it does. Now, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, talks about how angels are sent out to serve the elect, those who will inherit salvation. And this is why I believe these things. Man, you may disagree with me, and that's totally fine. But the beautiful thing is that even in our disagreement, if you were to disagree, that doesn't change anything about how we should live today. The application doesn't change. And so verses 28 and 29, Jesus gives an analogy of predicting the times. As a fig tree becomes tender, they knew summer was close. Well, when the disciples saw these predictions being fulfilled, they were to know that the destruction of the temple was about to happen. So pay attention. Watch with vigilance. And look at verse 31. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You see, behold the permanence of Jesus' words. It outlasts creation. It even outlasts time. When everything passes away, Jesus' words will remain. And why? Because Jesus is God. And only God's words are eternal. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fade, but the word of our God remains forever. And Jesus says that his words will remain forever. His words being eternal says something about him. That he is the eternal king. And just as his dominion is eternal and will not pass away, neither will his words. They are eternal and they will not pass away. And so if his words are eternal, then we ought to know it, believe it, obey it, and trust him. And so if you're not a Christian, this is Jesus Christ. He is sovereign over all things. The eternal king who currently rules and reigns. And in his love, he came to save sinners like us. Bearing the judgment that we rightfully deserve on the cross, suffering and dying and shedding his blood to purchase our redemption, and three days later, resurrecting from the grave and saving all who would trust in him. All who would turn and believe will be saved by the grace of God. And that's according to his eternal word. And so if you don't know Jesus, I would exhort you to trust in him and be saved. If you want, you can talk with any of our members after service. We love having conversations about Jesus and the gospel. And so as Jesus predicted these things, he exhorted the apostles to watch with vigilance as they were fulfilled. And now, Let's see that, how Jesus instructs us to do. We are to wait with faithfulness. Now, just a heads up, this point won't be nearly as long as the first point. So don't be wishing that you wish you brought a lunch or a snack. All right? Look at verse 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, 
neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. You see, Jesus, he transitions to answering a question that is implicit in Mark, but explicit in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples said, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? You see, here Jesus, he spoke of the day of his return. He will return, but it isn't predictable, and it doesn't immediately follow the destruction of the temple. You see, no one knows, not the angels, nor the Son, only the Father. Now, some of us may be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Did Jesus just admit to not knowing something? Pastor, you said that Jesus is God, and God knows everything. But Jesus said that he don't know the day of his own return. What's going on here? If you're thinking that, man, that's a really good question. To which I would say, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. And we must remember that he is one person with two natures. He is truly God and truly man. And as my seminary professor would say, the person of the Son acts in and through both natures. So according to his humanity, he didn't know the day or the hour of his return. But according to his divinity, he knows all things. You see, the Son acts in both natures, which is why the Son can grow in wisdom, according to his humanity, and know what people are thinking according to his divinity. This is why the Son can accurately predict these events, which is according to his divine nature, and simultaneously say that he doesn't know the day or the hour of his return according to his human nature. And so, beloved, we, get this, we won't know the day or the hour of Jesus' return. So may we be humble and not try to figure it out or make predictions. You see, remember, Jesus gave this instruction, this information to instruct and exhort. In this chapter, he gives 19 exhortations. So our primary application shouldn't be to create a chart, but to obey his commands. Look at verse 33. He says, watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. You see, we don't know when Jesus will return. But we know something. We know that he will return. And he makes that abundantly clear. So we can rest assured that Jesus will return for he promised it. And his promises aren't like ours. You know, we make a promise and there are many things that are out of our control that may prevent us from keeping that promise. But when Jesus makes a promise... He will fulfill it, for nothing is out of his control, and nothing and no one will prevent his return. And since we don't know when Jesus will return, so what are we to do until then? Are we to wait in idleness? No. We are to wait with faithfulness. You see, Christ has saved us. We are his He's bought us with the price. We are to follow him and be faithful to him. And that is the point of the parable in verses 34 to 36. 
You see, as the man gave his servants authority in each a work to do, so Jesus has given us a work to do as we wait, which we must do faithfully. Because Jesus hasn't yet returned, it can be easy for us to be distracted and be consumed with our personal ambitions, careers, our own plans, you name it, and not wait well. Satan would love for our gaze to remain on us and this life and not think about Jesus' return. And beloved, all of us are prone to it. And so what is it for you that can distract you and keep you from waiting well? You see, waiting well takes intentionality. Because we wait well by being faithful to doing the work that Christ gave us. And so what are we to do? Well, we are to be faithful in following Jesus, clinging to the gospel and not being deceived by false teachers. We're to build up the body, laboring for the maturity of church members. We're to love God completely and to love our neighbor. We're to be growing in conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 talks about how, man, behold God's love and that we are his children. And that's what we are right now. And what we will be hasn't yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as Jesus is pure. You see, we are to endure persecution for the name of Christ. We know that following Jesus is costly, that it's a life of suffering, and in our suffering, Jesus will not desert us, but he will be present with us through his spirit and strengthen us as he did the apostles. And as painful as it is, we must remember that Jesus is worth it. We reminded one another that Jesus is worth it when we sung, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken You see, beloved, we know this truth by faith, and one day we will know it by sight. And on that day, we will never regret suffering for Jesus. We are to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling people to repent and trust in him, hoping that they would know the Savior's love and that they would await his glorious return with us when we will see the King in all his beauty. We are to be faithful in gathering with the saints, which is a foretaste of heaven as God's people are gathered to worship God and the Lamb who was slain. See, we are to gather, we are to exalt God, edify one another, sit under the preached word, and be reminded that our King is coming soon. You see, beloved, hear me when I say this. Waiting well. It's not a solo work, but a community project. You see, when alone, we can be deceived, we can forget, we can get distracted with no one to call us out or help us or encourage us. You see, that is the danger of isolation. We need the body. We need to remind one another and encourage each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's about the day of the Lord. And in light of the church knowing and awaiting the day, the Apostle Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. You see, beloved, waiting well is a community project. So may we encourage one another and help one another to wait with faithfulness. Members, may we pray for one another to wait well as we pray through the membership directory. You see, beloved, our king is coming and his return will be glorious. It will impact everyone, Christians and non-Christians. Life as we know it will be no more. For he will crack the sky, the dead in Christ will rise, we'll all be changed, we'll be caught up with him, and he will rescue his bride and judge his enemies. The Taliban, Al-Qaeda, all of Jesus' enemies who have persecuted his bride will beg for the mountains to crush them. The one who they could have known as Savior, they will now know as Judge. They rejected him and persecuted his church in the day of salvation. And so they will experience his fury in full measure on the day of vengeance. There won't be one millisecond of relief for Jesus' enemies, but for his bride. We will see our Savior. There will be endless joy, endless love perfect peace. We will forever be enamored by God's love for us in Christ, never able to plummet the riches of his immeasurable grace towards us. For us, there won't be a millisecond of grief, sorrow, suffering, or pain. But there will be increasing awe of God and delight in him. You see, beloved, we don't know when Jesus will return but we know that he will. And that's all that we need to know. That's the most important thing. He is one day closer to coming. Salvation is nearer today than when we first believed. So may we wait Christ's return with faithfulness and eagerness. May we be longing for it. And in verse 37, Jesus concludes with a final exhortation. He says, and what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Beloved, you want to be alert? It's by waiting with faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you are sovereign over every detail of life, every purpose that you have set, you will accomplish. Every promise that you have made, you will fulfill. God, your son has promised to return. Father, may we long for that day, hastening the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Know that we will be with our Savior, worshiping the lamb who was slain. God, we praise you. We pray that he would come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus.
It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in the sermon, preached on how waiting well is a community project. Well, in our final hymn, as we sing Never Cease to Praise, we will sing about what does it look like for us as a community to wait well for the return of Jesus. Spurring each other on, encouraging one another and preaching the gospel, awaiting the return of our Savior. So now let's stand and sing, Never Cease to Praise.